Morning, everyone. Today's New Testament reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35 to 58, <clears throat> the resurrection body. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives it its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendour of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendour of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendour, the moon another, the stars another. The star differ from star in splendour. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spirit did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was the dust of the earth, and the second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so we will bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I'll tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, and we will, not all, and we will all be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must close itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been closed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always be yourself, fully in the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you guys all here this morning. I've just done the runaround, so I've just come back from uh, our Ed's congregation, and they said to say hi to everyone here, so I just wanted to pass that on. Uh, I'm going to be helping us think through the passage that we just looked at in 1 Corinthians 15, 
Uh, so please keep that passage open. I'm actually going to spend a bit of time in the, the first part of 1 Corinthians 15 as well. So uh, keep it open, but we're also going to spend a bit of time in the first part and then looking at the implications that are drawn out of the second part. But before we even do, it, do that, how about we pray? Now, Lord, thank you for revealing to us what the future and the present look like. Give us wisdom to listen, to reflect and to respond rightly. Amen. Well, friends, the big news of our week gone by is, of course, Prince Philip. That Prince Philip has passed away. Uh, He was 99. In fact, he was only one month short of receiving a letter from his wife for his 100th birthday. Uh, Most of us would say that reaching 99 is a pretty good innings. That's a pretty good length of time. Uh, Most of us feel for friends and for family of Prince Philip as they grieve, but also many of us are personally affected too. I think when celebrities, and particularly I think when people who have such great power and wealth and authority pass away, where their death actually functions as a reminder to us that even they, who are so great as such, they will meet their own mortality. And so it causes us to stop and reflect that we too will at some point finish. That death is going to conquer this mortal body and that my death will serve as a reminder for the next generation that they too are mortal. That's a bit of a somber start today Uh, but the the flip side of that was another news article which was posted on Easter Sunday Uh, it was a survey kind of article about spirituality in Sydney spiders Uh, it was printed by the ABC in conjunction with McCrindle Research I, I found it particularly fascinating I actually posted it on our church members Facebook page if you're part of that and you wanted to look it up There were so many really interesting things that came out of it, but perhaps the most interesting thing was that 78% of Australians were either certain or found it highly likely that there would be life after death. That's an enormous statistic. In in fact, let's put it another way. Flip it round. Only 22% of Australians either were unsure, thought it was unlikely, or were certain that there is no life after death. No other statistic even came within 15% of that level of confidence. Four out of five people are confident that death is not the end, that there is life that extends beyond that. But that then does lead us to the next question, doesn't it? What will that life after death even look like? It's the question of our passage today. Verse 35, someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? And while 78% of Australians are fairly confident that we will experience life beyond death, I suspect there is plenty of diversity as to what that life might look like. 
Uh, I expect that many people might hold a dualistic understanding of life after death. The idea being that when you die, your body just dies and your spirit carries on. That your spirit or soul is released from your earthly body to go and inherit its spiritual home, whatever that might look like. Um, and it kind of floats off into the next realm of existence. You hear it regularly at funerals. The hope of someone who has gone home, who is looking down on you in some kind of spiritual sense, who is just waiting for you to arrive, who is just doing what they loved doing on earth now in their next spiritual home. I suspect some people might hold a more Eastern or a cyclic understanding of death and rebirth. Uh, perhaps that in death, there is a reincarnated rebirth into life. But there are also others who are confident that there is life after death, but agnostic about the content. They might say... Isn't it all just guesswork anyway? We might have our suspicions, sure, but how could we possibly know? And besides, life after death, does it really have any bearing on our life lived here now? They may well say to us, look, what you need to do is just get on with living. Live well. Do that well, worry about the afterlife when the afterlife turns up. And actually, it's a fair point they make. Why would Christian teaching, in the words of the Bible, have any more or less weight when it comes to understanding life and death? Is this just our own speculative thinking? Well, friends, the reason the Christian may answer this with confidence is that Jesus really, really died on the cross. And that on that first Easter Sunday, Jesus really, really rose from the dead. Jesus, the Christ, is the only one who has faced death and one who has faced death and lived. And this is where the first half of 1 Corinthians 15 goes. We've spent a lot of time there in the last, uh, over our Easter weekend. Uh, so I'm just going to kind of skim through the detail here. Uh, but look with me from verse 3, where it says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Jesus Christ was God who had come to earth to save us. How was he going to do this? By dying on the cross, by taking himself, on himself the punishment for all of our sin. We see he was buried in a tomb and on that Easter Sunday morning that he was raised 
back to life. And you see in verse 6 that this isn't just a a nice thought or it's just the rumours of a few people, but actually that this is something which was seen and testified to by hundreds of people. 500 at one particular point in time. Why can the Christian have confidence? Because Jesus rose back to life from death. But it's not just that life after death is possible. It's also that Jesus' resurrection foreshadows our own. Uh, Look at verse 20 to 23 where it says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the firstfruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. Uh, We talked about this last Sunday, that Jesus' promise is resurrected life for all who trust in him. Uh, And we see in verse 23, when is this going to happen? When Jesus comes back. Life eternal with Christ begins when Christ returns. If we belong to Christ, then our trajectory follows that of Christ's. He is the first fruits. And we're the other fruits. Looking around the room, there's a few people who I would describe as a bit fruity, definitely. Uh, but he is the first to experience the resurrection from the dead, and we are the ones who will follow him on that same path, experiencing our own resurrection. That's the promise. That's the hope. And we know that he is good to his promise because we see in this passage that Jesus is actually in charge of all things, and there's nothing that could challenge him. Look from verse 24. Uh, Then the end will come and he will hand over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he, Jesus, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. All dominion, all authority. All power has been placed underneath Jesus as king. There isn't a single thing that isn't under his reign. There isn't a single thing that could challenge his authority. Jesus is Lord and king over all of it. And that's the framework from which our question picks up. Verse 35, someone will ask... How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? And all of this is really key to understanding what Paul is saying now. Because what follows in verse 36 to 39 is an analogy of a farmer sowing a seed. The idea is you plant a seed into the ground and it transforms from a seed into a sprouting plant. Now, I'm going to be honest here. 
when I plant seeds in the ground, most of the time they just stay seeds. I'm not really great at this particular gardening thing. I'm good at killing trees, but not so good at growing them. Uh, But the seed dies in the sense that the seed is no longer a seed anymore, is it? It transforms. It becomes a plant. And so Paul says that's what our resurrection is going to look like. Look at verse 42. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. It's a great little comparison moment. We were this. We will be that. Uh, But they warrant us looking at this in a bit of detail. You see, our resurrection uh, will be a complete transformation. We die in our perishable body. There is nothing you can do that is going to stop your body from perishing. Uh, No amount of working out with Ryan and working your guns is going to actually make your body last forever. Our bodies will perish, but we will be raised imperishable, in a new body, a body that will not perish, that is designed for eternal life. We will die in dishonour. As someone who is bound to a body of sin and death, as people who have dishonoured God in our bodies, and yet we will be raised Revealed to be sin-free, worthy of life with God eternal. Uh, We will be raised in glory. Uh, You see, this only happens because of Jesus, who died on the cross to take your sin and my sin. It's his actions which transform all who believe in him. But let's continue. We will die in weakness. We will succumb to disease or aging or just simply failing to stay alive. Uh, We will be powerless to prevent it. But we will be raised in power. Not our own power, but in the power of Christ who we've already heard earlier, is in authority over absolutely everything. We're sown a natural body. And what Paul means by this is that we're a body which is designed for this world. But when we are raised, we'll be raised a spiritual body, designed perfectly for the world to come. This is not to say that we'll be without physical form. Not at all. If you look at the resurrection of Jesus, he's very much kind of physical body stuff. Uh, His disciples, they were able to touch his arm. He ate a fish. He's very much physical stuff. But like Jason pointed out last week, Jesus somehow has the ability that he can walk through walls into a room which is completely locked. That's going to be fantastic. 
uh, so our bodies will follow the trajectory of Christ's. We will be changed. And that's really the point of verse 45 to 49. Our earthly body, it follows the pattern of Adam, the first human. And that every body follows the same, the same pattern here. That we sin, we age, we die, and we're buried in the ground, or we return to kind of the ground. But in Jesus, we are a new human, and our body will be resurrected to follow that new humanity. What he is like is what we will be like. Look at verse 49. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, Adam, so we shall uh, bear the image of the heavenly man, Christ. You see, our trajectory is with Christ in death, in resurrection, in life lived in the glory of God. Our bodies will die, our bodies will be raised, transformed, and our bodies will be fit for life with God in eternity. No longer sinning, no longer ageing, no longer bound to the things which constrain us here. And so Paul can continue in verse 54, when the perishable has been clothed with imperishability, when we have been raised in our new bodies, and the mortal with immortality, that our new bodies will be perfected forever, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Friends, death is swallowed up in victory. The image that comes to my mind in this moment is, I just keep picturing this little grim reaper kind of floating in water and just this giant whale that just kind of, and just kind of just continues to swim off nonchalantly. Uh, but this is not something to stop and miss. This huge, looming reality that hangs over every single person. Death. Death is destroyed. The thing that kills and causes all of our relationships to cease. Death. Death is destroyed. This life-killing reality where we lose who we are and belong no more. Death is destroyed. And so we can exclaim with utter defiance, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where is your sting? Why? Look at verse 56 and 57. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just unpack that quickly. Death's sting is that we are people who sin, and so the law finds us guilty. God, in his good law, finds us guilty. Uh, the way it kind of works is that God gives us his law. Uh, we are found guilty as people who are sinners, and so we deserve death. But thanks be to God. Because what Jesus has done is Jesus 
takes our sin. And Jesus takes our debt. And Jesus fulfills the law for us. So that now if we, can, if we trust in Jesus, we actually share in his victory. We can look forward to life with God forever. We can look forward to perfected bodies, physical and spiritual, fit for eternal life with God. But this future life has implications for now. Uh, Look at how this passage ends. He spent 57 verses making this point. And then he kind of finishes with, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Uh, The future and and resurrected life, uh, it is all of it is bound up in Jesus. Uh, And so that life of the future has implications for our life now. You see, Paul is writing to a church of Christians and his message to them is, don't let anything move you from the, the gospel of Jesus. Stand firm in the truth that you have learned. Uh, Paul then talks about this as giving yourself fully to the work of the Lord uh, because their work in the Lord is not in vain. Uh, What he's not saying here is that you have to be a minister or have to be involved in a certain or particular amount of ministries. It's far more simple than that. The work of the Lord is first and foremost to listen to Jesus, to examine your life, As Jesus reveals your sin to amend your life and be obedient to him. You see, it is about knowing and growing in understanding what Jesus has done for us. It's about understanding and growing in that understanding of what God commands us to do in changing our life. And it's about putting it into practice and growing at putting it into practice as we change our life to live more and more the way that Jesus would have us do. And the command here is to always give ourselves fully to this work. See, it's an encouragement for Christians to keep on going, to keep on committing to Jesus. To recommit yourself daily in standing firm to his word and in letting that word shape and change your life. And yet it's also a message for those who might be listening in who are not yet Christian. If you've been listening over the past couple of weeks, you've heard that Jesus the Christ, he died on the cross to take away your sin and my sin. You've heard that he rose again from the dead because he defeats sin, Uh, he defeats death, and he is risen to be king over everything. You heard that he has held out for you 
life forever. And that is the promise for anybody who puts their faith and trust in Jesus. In fact, I hope you've seen today that Jesus radically transforms everything. Uh, He transforms life and death and life in the future. Uh, And so he calls for us to respond to him. He calls for us to start a life of commitment to him. Uh, And you might be someone who's listening in and going, sounds good, how would I start that? Uh, And you begin this with a simple prayer. You simply pray to God in the quiet of your own mind. Uh, You pray three things. You pray sorry, you pray thanks, you pray please. You might pray something a bit like this. I'm just going to pray for us and I'll leave space. If you want to pray something like this and and commit to being a Christian, um, then you can do so in the quiet of your own mind. Uh, Let me pray for us. Uh, Lord and God, I am sorry for my sin and for failing to treat you as I deserve. Thank you that you sent Jesus to take away my sin and to offer me life. Please help me to live listening to him and changing my life accordingly. Amen. Our friends, if you prayed this prayer this morning for the first time, then you have become a Christian. You have actually made the step of having your future radically changed by Jesus. You have life with him awaiting you. And we actually want to help you to put things in place to keep making small steps forward in your own, in your life, in living your life committed to him now. And so I'd ask for you to talk to someone about the choice you have made. I'll be available after the service, as will Jason. Uh, but perhaps you'd like to talk to a friend or a family member uh, who, uh, who you know well and talk to them about the, the commitment that you've made. Uh, they would love to chat with you and rejoice with you uh, and also to help you to think about the steps that you might take to grow in your walk with Jesus. Uh, if you're someone who's still checking things out, that's also okay. Uh, we love that you are here uh, and we think this is a great place for you to be in continuing to think through what on earth it might mean uh, to listen to and to know and to follow Jesus. And I pray that we'll be able to continue to help you uh, in your own journey of walking and working out uh, Jesus. But how about I finish now uh, by praying for all of us here in light of what we've heard in this passage. Our Lord and God, we thank you that you are a God who transforms death and new life. Help us so to trust in that future that we would joyfully commit ourselves to listening to you and to putting it into practice now. Help us to be an encouragement to one another to stick with Jesus in all of the ups and downs of life. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.